The Afterword is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audiblepodcast.com slash afterword. That's W-O-R-D. I'm June Thomas, welcoming you to The Afterword, a Slate podcast in which I talk with the authors of new non-fiction books. My guest today is Alison Bechdel, whose book Are You My Mother? A Comic Drama has just been published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Alison, thanks so much for coming into the Slate studio on what I believe is the first day of your book tour. Yes, it is my very great pleasure, June. I'm very excited to talk with you and just to disclose that you and I have known each other for many years and I'm a great admirer of you and your work. Indeed, if I was marooned on a desert island with only one book, which is incidentally my idea of hell, <laughs> uh, I'd choose the collected dykes to watch out for. <laughs> Just so you know. But this, That's very touching. Thank uh, you. No. But this is a very tricky book to talk about, partly because it's incredibly intricate and sort of recursive, and also because it's a graphic memoir, and we would be doing a great disservice if we just talked about the words. But first, how do you describe this book? According to the profile that Judith Thurman wrote of you in a recent New Yorker, you described Fun Home, your last graphic memoir, as being about, quote, how my closeted dad killed himself a few months after I came out to my parents as a lesbian. So what's the elevator pitch for well, you, my Well, you mother? know, I don't, honestly, I don't have an elevator pitch for this book. I cannot seem to come up with one. I worked very hard on Fun Home doing my author questionnaire. They have you boil the book down to like 400 words and 100 then Six. 20. <laughs> Six. And I, I have not been able to do that for this book. It is, in its simplest sense, a memoir about my mother. But that really doesn't describe it at all. No. In a way, in Fun Home, your reading of James Joyce Ulysses, a key point in your life that helped you make sense of what was going on. And that kind of felt like a book about reading, and I've seen other critics say that this perhaps is a book about writing, are also kind of learning to read yourself, because there's a lot about therapy. I do think of it as a book about writing, about my own efforts to write, about my mother's efforts to write, some thwarted, some actually lived out later in her life, and just about the plight of the woman writer, the way women have been silenced. I I talk a lot about Virginia Woolf in this book, you know, who of course wrote A Room of One's Own, although I don't talk a lot about A Room of One's Own. Right. But I I mention it. I talk about Adrienne Rich a lot and her own later sort of rewriting of A Room of One's Own. <laughs> it's not <laughs> not a good elevator pitch. <laughs> I don't know if recursive is the right word, but it does kind no, of circle yeah. around on itself. It um, has a kind of a spiral, reminds me of a seashell kind it's of. It's involute. Oh, my. <laughs> I like to think. So let's go back a little bit. We should talk about your writing process, since it is a graphic memoir. How do you begin this dual process of both writing and drawing? What comes first? That is the big question. And I write in a drawing program in Adobe Illustrator. So I'm sitting at my computer. It looks like I'm typing as a writer might be typing, but I'm actually placing my text in specific places on the page in little text boxes. And I am drawing panels 
and laying my page out in a in a panel grid and thinking about how my story is breaking down into pictures. I'm not actually drawing with a pencil. I'm on the computer, but I think of this as a type of drawing. So it's kind of an imaginary drawing. You're, yes, you're picturing the... exactly. But you actually write down the words. Yes. Uh, sometimes I'll write a description of what the image is going to be. Sometimes I'll grab something off the internet or scan something from a book or actually do a small sketch and scan it and put it into my Illustrator page. But it's not technically drawing. Just to prove the recursive nature of your book, at one point your mom, in a letter written to you decades ago, says, uh, speaking of herself, patterns are my existence, everything must fit. And that's true of your work too, isn't it? Because your book is about making connections and ultimately cartoons are a connection between words and art. Yes. That desire to find patterns also has a clinical diagnosis. It's called (laughs) apophenia. Do you think you have that uh, diagnosis? I do. I know that rationally there aren't patterns that my life is meaningless, but it gives me great pleasure to seek patterns and find meaning. So I allow myself to do that. You know, one of the things that reading Are You My Mother made me think was the magic of of analysis, of being a therapist or a psychoanalyst. In a way, it's kind of a, an exercise in literary criticism. Yeah. And it really kind of made me regret my career choices and think, oh, if only I'd been a therapist. Did you also have that? You would be a great analyst. Well, as a child, I did want to be either a cartoonist or a psychiatrist. And you've ended up being both in a way. In a way, in this book, yes. Let's stick for a little while with your process. It's both interesting and and a little bit key to how things come about. But you take pictures of yourself in various poses as references for your drawing. And why is it so about recursive? (laughs) Why is it so important to you that not only every word be true, but that every image be an absolutely accurate representation of how things look? When I first started drawing cartoons, I did not work like that. I just drew what came out of my head. And they had a certain charm, those early drawings, but they weren't really technically as good as I would have liked them to be. And so my drawing process over all these years has just gotten a little more and more accurate. I don't know why I'm compelled to do that. I could draw silly, looser, less realistic drawings, but I like drawing realistically because it fits the kind of stories I'm trying to tell. I'm trying to tell accurate, nuanced stories about my real life, my real perceptions, and for me, it's important that those drawings be lifelike. And I think in this new book, Are You My Mother?, my drawings have reached an almost sort of life-drawing quality. You become a better artist generally the more you do it. Um, and at one point, one of your therapists, who you go back to after not having seen her for 10 years, says, oh, I, I feel like I'm better at this work now. I don't think that's always true of writers. Writers sometimes just kind of fall into tricks. And I think it's and not habits. also always true of cartoonists either. Often you can see a difference between early work and later work. Like if you see early Calvin and Hobbes or early Peanuts, they're, they're very different looking. But then they got in a very steady groove with the way their characters appeared. But mostly cartoons look the same. Right. But I feel like mine, mine have continued evolving. 
a big factor is how instantly recognisable the characters are. Yes. And so they kind of can't change that much. And, and you know, the Dykes to Watch Out For did over 25 years because they did get older. But it's much more difficult to write, to draw your mother as a young woman, as a child, as an old woman. I know. This was really tricky. And to make her identifiable right, as herself exactly. and all, at all those different ages and to make myself identifiable as a infant as a 50-year-old writing this story, as a 25-year-old, as a 40-year-old, like I had to come up with sort of simplified versions of myself that would be clearly identifiable at these different points in my life. You spent six years writing this book? More or less, yes. Part of that work, I presume, was figuring out the different reference points. Yeah. For a long time, I, I resisted including the present moment. I felt like that was complicated uh-huh. narratively for a memoir like and also what happens in the present moment is just not thought through it seems trivial and just not as weighty as the stuff of childhood these mm. memories that have had time to take on meaning in my psyche but over time i realized that my my current day interactions with my mother were very much a part of the book right this book is in a way well it definitely is a sequel to fun home and you I think uh, readers who are very familiar will kind of recognize moments or characters from that book. But it's also about the process of writing that book and the response to that book. How did that make writing this book different? I also resisted for a long time making this book about my mother, about writing a book about my father. That just (laughs) seemed really egregious. Like, how can you possibly ask people to read that? But in the end, that's what it seemed to have to be. The beginning of this story about my mother happened in the middle of writing the book about my father when I was negotiating that book with my mother, Mm -hmm. showing her early drafts and dealing with her reactions to it. I had this strange, intense period of several months in 2002 while I was doing that early writing when I had these really powerful dreams and I started reading about, about psychoanalysis and I was doing some intense work with my therapist at the time. And I didn't know it then, but I was spending a lot of time on all of this stuff on top of writing the book about my father and on top of doing my comic strip. I was just becoming very interested in analysis and dreams. And I see now that that period was really where where most of the material of this book about my mother started bubbling up. I resisted saying that it's a sequel to Fun Home because, in a way, it's kind of a deeper exploration. You sort of didn't stop thinking about those issues when Fun Home was finished or came out. You know, I'm still not quite sure what its relationship to Fun Home is. I have a blog where readers chime in, and there's a very interesting discussion on it right now about do you need to have read Fun Home to read Are You My Mm. Mother? And someone cited Huckleberry Finn which begins with a a mention of Tom Sawyer, which preceded it, but says that you don't really have to have read Tom Sawyer. And I think that's the case for for this book, too. I would like to think that Are You My Mother stands on its own. 
Let's pause for a moment to give away some books. But first, I want to let you know that this month, The Afterword is sponsored by Audible.com. They're offering a free audiobook to any US listener who signs up for a new 30-day free trial. Audible has more than 100,000 audiobooks available for download, as well as audio versions of newspapers and magazines. Membership also includes free access to the daily audio digest of The New York Times or The Wall Street Journal. Are You My Mother is not available as an audiobook. You really do have to see the pictures to get the amazing multimedia effect. But one of the writers who Alison refers to and takes inspiration from is Virginia Woolf, and she particularly references to The Lighthouse, which is available from Audible. Have you listened to that, Alison? I have. I, I love that Audible version of To The Lighthouse. Do you often listen to audiobooks? I do, and I'm not even being paid by Audible <laughs> to say this. <laughs> but when, I, when I'm drawing... When I'm inking, I'm like sitting at my desk for hours and hours on end, and I will often listen to a book on tape. Awesome. Well, to get your free trial listener, which will allow you to download To The Lighthouse or another of the 100,000 audiobooks available on Audible, go to audiblepodcast.com slash afterword. If you use that URL, the afterword will get credit, audiblepodcast.com slash afterword. Now, Houghton Mifflin has very kindly given us three copies of Are You My Mother to give away to listeners, and Alison has been kind enough to sign them. If you would like one, send an email with the words mother giveaway. There's a phrase which could <laughs> be grist for analysis or a whole nother book. In the subject line, to slateafterword at gmail.com by 11.59pm Eastern Time, on Friday, May 18th, 2012, and we'll choose four winners at random. If you've been lucky in one of our previous giveaways, please don't enter for at least three months after a win to give other listeners a chance. We'll contact the lucky responders so that we can get their postal address. And if you have any feedback about the podcast, please send it to the same address, slateafterword at gmail.com. So, Alison... One of the things you circle back on a couple of times in the book is how Virginia Woolf said that writing to the lighthouse essentially resolved all her issues with her mother, who had died some years earlier. Once she'd written that book, her anxiety on that score ended. Did writing Are You My Mother have a similar effect on you? <laughs> or did it quiet your anxieties, resolve your issues? I feel like I'm not quite able to determine that yet because so much of writing a book for me is what happens after the book comes out, how it's received, how my family deals with it. I feel like I'm still in the thick of it. Do you mean also critical response? To yes, yes, critical response. Reviews that I've seen have been glowing. Yeah, it's gotten very good reviews, which I am so immensely grateful for. I've been quite anxious about this book. I just wasn't sure. Well, you know, I mean, I was composing it for all these years in yeah. Fun Home's shadow. Like, Fun Home was just such a crazy fluke. Oh, my God, this book, it just was really successful, and it was very difficult to embark on another project. I don't know how people write second books after a successful first book. I think as you did would be the answer to that question. It's really hard and painful, and I was filled with self-loathing for the past six years and dread. Well, that's over now. So <laughs> A new day begins here. Your process involves spending a lot of time with old diaries and other items in the extensive archives that you've collected over the years. Does your need to hold on to these things diminish when you finish a memoir? You think, okay, I've processed them now. Somewhat, but I've... Not really, because I I feel like I'm, st I'm still very keen to do more of this memoir work, yes. especially about my family. And for that, I need all of this stuff. I would have some kind of breakdown if I lost my diaries mm -hmm. and my photographs. I'm not sure what would happen. It might be interesting 
creatively if I didn't actually have a breakdown to see what would happen. <laughs> I do feel like psychically in this sense that Virginia Woolf talks about getting her mother sort of exercised from her mind, I feel like that certainly happened with Fun Home. Like this big block of memory in my head was able to be freed up for other projects. This block of memory that had been devoted to my father and sort of mulling over this mystery. Why are you so drawn to reveal your flaws in this book? You didn't have to share your professional envy, for example. Um, <laughs> you, you know, she's... Nobody talks about that very much. I was really almost debilitated by envy. And I, I still suffer pangs of envy. It's not nearly as bad now that I feel I've gotten a little more recognition. But right. it is a terrible, terrible feeling. And I think it's pretty pervasive. I imagine it is. Um, <laughs> so in the, that New Yorker profile, Judith Thurman suggested that each of your memoirs is a bad book with pictures of its author doing egregious things embedded in a good book, a work of literature. Do you agree with that characterization? I mean, you do show yourself doing some very personal, intimate things, and you are kind of a shy person. Yes. By bad book, she means like, overly revealing, like showing myself on the toilet, stuff right. like that. <laughs> and other personal things. <laughs> and other, well, I feel like all those things, like showing myself having sex or showing myself naked, like that somehow, yes, it's exhibitionistic in one way, but in another way, I feel like I forced myself to do those things. None of that was gratuitous, I don't no, think. It was no, a part no. of the story, but I can't think of the right metaphor. It's like a little chip that I'm offering in a poker game, like, you can trust me because I'm showing you... right this stuff. I'm yeah. showing you this intimate, vulnerable stuff. Therefore, please believe me that the rest is true. It just always strikes me as the equivalent of somebody who is too shy to dance at the local bar, but does a solo performance at Lincoln Center. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I very much that work. person. I'm extraordinarily shy, but I'm going to, you know, go on this book tour and talk about this stuff in public every night for the next two weeks. Do you have any of those scenes in the uh, slideshows that you show in bookstores? No. Good. That's probably just as well. Do that you think? a little awkward. I agree with you that they are in no way gratuitous, but they are very Yeah, I think I'll personal. skip those. Yeah, I would. But that's interesting, too. You know, memoirs talk about their sex lives, but somehow showing it in a visual book has a different... Uh, valence. In a graphic memoir or in a, a cartoon, it's easier, it seems to me, to do that maxim, you know, show, don't tell, quoting from Virginia Woolf about what's happening to a couple. And then you show your mother and father as a couple having a parallel activity or a parallel moment. And it is very much shown rather than... Yes, that's one of the great powers of visual storytelling is just that the ability to juxtapose things and let the reader draw their own connections. I think that's what makes it so sort of a participatory art form. Mm -hmm. you, the mm -hmm. reader is not passive at all. Right. No, exactly. And I'm sure there are, you know, lots of little things hidden in corners. I mean, it does also not only reward, but almost demand a lot of time with it. I hope so. Yeah. You have to sort of marinate in it for a while. Yeah. Especially I like for people to have stuff to look at closely in the drawings, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. not just gloss over the drawings. Yeah, for sure. But read them Yeah, like they would read the text. Yeah. 
as you know, I'm a big fan of Dykes to Watch Out For and still grieve for it. But um, you spent so much time with those characters, 25 years. And now you are spending, you've spent what, well, you've spent your lifetime. But in terms of as a work of art, you spent 13, 15 years with your family. You know, you used to describe Dykes to Watch Out For as half soap opera, half Victorian novel. Have your family kind of taken that role? Is it is it another cast of characters? There might be some disturbing parallels. I've often described Dykes to Watch Out For as my imaginary friends that I wish I really had had. Yes. <laughs> and maybe as I write about my family, you know, I'm trying to tell the truth about my family, but it's a way of engaging with my family that is difficult to do in the actual world. I have to do it in art. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've spent every day for the past dozen years writing about my family, but I spend very little time actually with my family, right. which is very sad. Now, both Fun Home and Are You My Mother end with an image of you and a parent on different planes. In Fun Home, you're above your father. He's waiting for you to dive into a pool. And then in Are You My Mother, your mother is standing above young Allison. What's going on there? You know, honestly, I never saw that parallel. For for so many years, I was trying so hard to make this book be nothing like Fun Home. Uh And then I turned a corner at a certain point and realized it was becoming more and more like Fun Home structurally and in all different ways. But I hadn't really analyzed the beginning and ending. But yeah, in both cases, I'm playing a game with my one of my parents as a very young child, a physical game. And it just occurred to me, as you say this, that Fun Home ends with me about to jump into a pool into my father's arms. And Are You My Mother begins with me plunging into a brook in a dream. That's the first image is of jumping into this water. I totally didn't do that intentionally. None of this is casual because of the process. No, very, very deliberate So and belabored. (laughs) So how, you know, it surprises me that, I'm going to say, how can you not notice that? That's not the tone I want to, but it surprises me that you can be surprised by, by things in the art. Well, I'm noticing lots of things, but I can't notice everything, I guess. <laughs> right. And I guess, too, it's all, there are questions of interpretation, and we could go into a whole postmodern jag about how much well, the author is responsible for the coding and decoding. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of academic articles were written about fun home finding all manner of things that I didn't intend. But that's always sort of fun. I enjoy reading those pieces because that's sort of like being psychoanalyzed, which which I love. And before I get to my last question, I wanted to ask you about one of your most lingering influences, which is the Bechdel test. Did you anticipate its cultural influence? No, I just find this really fascinating. I guess we should say what the Bechdel test is. Okay, the Bechdel test, first of all, I have to cite Stigler's law of eponymy, which states that any scientific law that's named after a particular person was not actually invented by that person. And in fact, Stigler's law was not invented by Stigler, (laughs) but someone else. And I feel bad that my name has gotten attached to this idea, although it's a wonderful idea. I wish it were my idea. But I stole it from a friend in 1985 when I was desperate for a storyline for my comic strip for Dykes to Watch Out For. And she had just told us her her rule for attending movies. She would only see a movie if it had more than two women in it who talked to each other about something other than a man. Three very basic, simple criteria, but it was astonishing how few movies met those criteria. 
And this was just this lesbian feminist cartoon in 1985. Somehow, through some evolution of the human species, through you know the mode of transmission of the internet, somehow it has come back into. It never had any cultural currency. Now it's this big thing, and it's attached to my name, which is great because I feel like my work all of my life has been about creating women who are subjects, and that's what the the Bechtel test is all about. And I feel like we're at a very exciting cultural moment when there are tons of movies that meet the Bechtel test. None of which I can think of at the moment, but <laughs> well, like for example, I'm I'm obsessed with Lena Dunham and and the Girls series. That's it's. Such brilliant work, and thirty、mm-hmm. years after I was her age, finally women are able to just tell stories about themselves as human beings. Right on. So the style of the book returns the reader into a kind of amateur therapist seeking out their own connections and patterns. So let me play therapist right now. Are you ready? <laughs> All right. By asking you to give off the top of your head three words to describe your creative process: obsessive, compulsive. Disorder? No. <laughs>、uh, can can a hyphen it count as a word? Absolutely. Self doubt. And three words to describe this new book.、Uh, I think there's something actually very confident about this、mm-hmm, new book,、mm-hmm. um, and free, and wordy. I guess is the other wordy. Yeah. Do you have any sense of how many words, like words that you wrote rather than quotations, are in the book? No, I have no idea. It, it feels the opposite of wordy to me. So it's very interesting I, to hear that. That's your impression of it. Well, it might have more words than Fun Home, but somehow it feels less wordy than Fun Home. I feel like the language is a little more pared down,、mm-hmm. not as ornate as Fun Home, which is perhaps appropriate because just of the difference between my mother and my father. My mother was much more. Spare mm-hmm, linguistically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> three words to describe yourself.、Oh. Well, that's a problem because I don't really differentiate myself from my work, which is very problematic, at least according to my therapist. <laughs> I did see that coming. I might say. <laughs> I thought you were going to use exactly the same words, which you may still. I, I I do think obsessive and compulsive are in there. And how about ambivalent? Alison, thanks once again for coming in to talk with us. That was Alison Bechdel, whose new book "Are You My Mother?" a comic drama is available in bookstores now. If you have any comments about our discussion, send them to slateafterward@gmail.com. Our engineer was Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. Thanks for listening to the Afterward for Slate.com. I'm Jim Thomas.